Welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast. And no matter if this is your first episode or if you have been with us since episode number one, we are very glad to have you here. I mean, I truly believe that this uh, podcast is better because of you. So first, I want you to go to the website, drderekthesportsdoctor.com. Find that link in the show notes and go to the website because that's where you can find all the content. Also, register for our bi-weekly email that goes out that gives you all the updates and any uh, behind-the-scenes information. And the other thing, make sure that you're following us on Instagram and on YouTube because YouTube is our new outlet. We've had it for six months now. It is a fast-growing place where you can get all the content, the audio and the video. So however you want to consume content, we're trying to make that available for you on this podcast And we're very glad to have you here. So stay tuned for this episode. Welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor. And we have another very interesting guest uh, here today, uh, Mr. Jeffrey Holst, who self-described as a recovering attorney, you know, just a lover of life, travel and adventure. And he's also a podcaster as well. So he has his own two podasts which I'll let him tell you about briefly. Uh, But Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. So uh, one of your podcasts, very original, uh, the Old Fashioned Real Estate Podcast. You know, so why is it called Old Fashioned? Um, You know, so uh, because we were being a little cheeky when we came up with it, but what we do is we drink Old Fashions, like the bourbon drink. And talk about real estate. It's mostly a YouTube show, but I mean, it is on all the podcasting apps. But it's it's more fun if you can watch us drinking. So right, <laughs> or if you can come on as a guest and drink along. Right? Oh, also fun, yes. <laughs> all right, and then there's more to life. So, kind of tell us about that other podcast. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the other podcast is actually called Last Life Ever. It's just about mm-hmm. recognizing that um, that we just get this one shot. And we kind of owe it to ourselves and to the world to live the best possible version of the life that we have. Yeah. And that's something that I really like to just kind of focus on as we talk today about maximizing our time here on earth, right? Because it's always going to be probably shorter than what you first imagined, especially as a young person where we seem invincible and before we started to really encounter medical issues or whatever it may be. But we, many times, I'll speak for myself, I encounter, I think about, illness and late age, right? But not everybody has the opportunity to live to be 80 or 75 or whatever before they encounter sickness. So just kind of talk to us about how your perspective kind of changed on that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, I, I graduated from law school and I thought, you know, I'm going to have this like long legal career. And uh, I was probably like 27, 26, somewhere around there when I graduated law school and uh, just a couple of years later, uh, I was diagnosed with leukemia and um, I ended up in the hospital. Um, and and I, honestly, I, I was doing really well as a lawyer. I was a bankruptcy attorney. It was 2008. There was bankruptcies wow. all over the place. Yeah. Uh, the economy was crashing. And uh, so I was going from like this really like high point to um, I went down to Machu Picchu in Peru. And uh, when I was there, I, I I wasn't dealing with elevation very well. And I came back with a cold and like uh, developed into pneumonia and I just, I couldn't beat it. So I went to a med center. I mean, I was 30, so I, I hadn't even been going to doctors, which, you know, pro tip for people, it's a good idea to get your annual physicals because they would have caught this a lot sooner. But 
Um, I, I, you know, they went and they did routine blood work at the time of, you know, when they were prescribing me antibiotics for the, you know, the cold that I had and, uh, and they found out my white blood cell count was just skyrocketed. And so I got this call on a Saturday night at about like 10 o'clock at night. And it was like, Hey, no easy way to tell you this. Um, but you have leukemia and you have to go to the hospital right now. Uh, and that was a, that was a pivot point for sure in my life. So let's just kind of stop right there. When you get that call, if you can kind of go back to those moments, if it's not too painful and just kind of tell us, you know, on top of your game early in your law career, like you mentioned, business is booming because of the economy crashing. What were your initial thoughts when you hear, hey, you have cancer, you have leukemia? Well, you know, it's interesting because like I wasn't. I mean, I knew there was something wrong. Like I, I just knew intuitively there was something wrong. I just was, I had, I'd been, at first I thought I was just getting lazy, you know, or something, but, but I just felt off a little bit. And so I, I thought there was something wrong, but I, I didn't expect that at all. Um, and I was watching Heroes. You remember the TV show Heroes at right. the time? And I was watching it. I had paused the, um, the DVR and I heard this on, you know, from over the cell phone. Uh, my wife was sitting, uh, you know, next to me on, on the couch and, and uh, she was like, what do they want? Like, it's unusual for a doctor's office to call you at 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday. Right. And I said, oh, you know, nothing. Let's just finish the show. Like, I, I was thinking to myself, like, when I say these words out loud, everything's going to change. So I just need like a minute to process. And of course, rightly so, she didn't let me do that. She really wanted to know what it was. And so then I, you know, then I was like, okay, well, I have to sort of steal myself to say it out loud, because it just didn't seem real, you know. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to tell her. So I told her, you know, I've, I've got, um, you know, I've got leukemia, and we have, we have to go to the hospital. And then, of course, she got upset and everything and, um, and kind of freaked out. And, you know, the normal stuff you do when you find out that your spouse is sick, and, you know, has a real problem. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I sat there and I thought, just for a moment, I thought, you know, like, I'm 30 and there's a lot of stuff that I would still like to do. And uh, I might not get to do those things. I mean, that's really what was going through my head. And I mean, it was ironic in a way because probably about seven or eight years before, well, actually this year, it, was, it would be like nine years earlier. I had, um, when I was an undergrad, I had this idea that um, I was sitting in a history class and I was listening to this professor talk and he was talking about, the Renaissance specifically and about Michelangelo and the story where Michelangelo finishes this sculpture called um, Michelangelo's Moses. And it's supposed to be the centerpiece of a tomb for one of the popes. And he's going to unveil veil this to the Pope. Right. And so they pull the sheet off and he's just sitting there staring at it and he doesn't say anything and it gets a little awkward. And, um, finally one of his students comes up to him and it's like you know master you have to say something like he sits literally in front of the pope which is like it's like the president of the world you know it's like the most important right. person of his day in the renaissance and he takes his chisel and he throws it at the sculpture and he just says one word move right like just move because he thinks he's put all his whole life into the sculpture and he's like it's so realistic he thinks it's going to get up and move and when i heard that i was like you know, there's nothing in my life that I'm that passionate about that I would, I would like, you know, go crazy in front of the president, you know? So right, I was like, right. Hmm, I should, uh, 
I should probably go see this. So I went on this quest, right, to see the Moses. And I mean, the short version is I, I wandered around Europe for a while. I backpacked in Europe. I'd never been outside of the U.S. at that point. I got there to this little church, and it sits on a hill above the Colosseum in Rome. And I look at the Moses, and I was underwhelmed. You know, I mean, it's a great sculpture, but but it wasn't changing my life. I, I mean, I had this like young person idea that if I saw this sculpture, I was suddenly going to know what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And so I walked outside, and I was still I was smoking cigarettes back then which I don't even understand how I got into that but you know it's a young person thing I guess so so I sat down on the front steps of this church and I lit up a cigarette and I looked down at the Colosseum and I thought what am I going to do now and I just went you know I'm going to go I'm going to make money and I'm going to travel the world and I'm going to see old things and I made myself a little mini bucket list of the pyramids in Egypt Machu Picchu and then Petra and Jordan and that was it. That was the thing. Those are only three things that came to my head. If I were making the list now, I'd have other things on the list. But, but I had those three things on the list. And over the next several years, I went to law school. I started making money, and I did exactly that. I went to Egypt and saw the pyramids. I went to Jordan and saw Petra, which is an amazing. That's the um, for people who don't know, that's like the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Like when there's a city carved into the side of the mountains, that's a real place. Although it doesn't hold the Holy Grail, at least I didn't see it there. But, uh, but I mean, I went to that and then I went to Machu Picchu and I, you know, a week before I was diagnosed with leukemia, I had sat on the top of the mountain looking down on the Incan city and thought I've accomplished what I want to accomplish. Like I'd checked the last thing off of my bucket list. And as soon as I found out I was sick, you know, like literally a week later, I thought, man, I should have never crossed that last thing off right. my bucket yeah. list. That was dumb. And then I thought, I need to add some stuff to my list. Right. And so I started what I call a life list at that point. And I just went, I'm not going to ever have a bucket list again because I'm not really ready to die. So I just was like, here's some stuff I'd like to do during my lifetime. And at first it was really small and not very ambitious because I thought I had weeks or maybe months to live. So I, I I'd put on the list that I wanted to live till Christmas to see one more yeah. Christmas. And it was in September. And, and, you know, that was the first thing I put on my list. And then the next thing I put on my list was live till February. So you can go to Australia. Cause my dad told me if I made it till February, he'd take me to Australia. And uh, that's just where my mind was at then. But then I just kept adding stuff to it. And uh, every time I cross something off, I try to add two new things. So it just keeps getting longer. Yeah. Make sure you don't die yet. Right. Yeah. I don't want, I'm not, I don't want to not ready yeah. to be done. <laughs> So, you know, as I'm sitting here listening to you, you went across the world to search for your passion and you saw it and that wasn't it. But then it seems like your passion became adventure and travel. And then, yeah. okay, I'm about to die. And now my goals are live two months, live three months. How did that shift when you would start to, and you get out, you know, a year, did you continue to say, I just want two more months. I want three more months. Did you finally say, okay, I might have this beat and I might be able to live. Yeah, I no, I mean, listen, I, I was very fortunate. The type of leukemia I have is very treatable. Didn't know it when we were first making those goals, you know, but uh, mm -hmm. once I started responding to the treatment that I was on, uh, I realized that maybe I had a little bit you know, more time. And even still, it was a newer treatment. So the doctors were saying, oh, you should be able to live 10, 15 years. And I went, okay, well, that's better than a few months, right? Right. Um, now right. it's been 15 years and they're saying, you know, you're probably, you know, more likely than not, it's going to continue to 
be fine. Um, I still go to my oncologist a couple times a year, you know, get checkups and stuff, but, but, uh, and I still take the treatment. It's a one a day oral chemotherapy, take it every day. It's a, a daily reminder of my own mortality, you know? So you yeah. look at this pill and go, if I choose not to take this, I'm not going to live, you know, oh, but probably live for a while. Cause it's not like it would instantly kill me if I miss one dose, but, but I mean, it's still a, it is a nice reminder every day. And so once I realized I had more time, I, um, I started thinking about like, what, what kind of life do I want to live? And so I quit practicing law because I didn't really love it. And I took a job and I started investing in real estate and I, I got to the point where I didn't have to work anymore. You know, I I bought, uh, I don't know, 40 or 50 units of of uh, property with, an, with another partner over about a seven or eight year period. And actually uh, in between there, I went bankrupt. So, I mean, I was, I like, like after I got diagnosed, my insurance wasn't that good because I was working for myself in a small law firm yeah. and I had all these uh, medical bills. Plus on top of that, I had all of the cost of running a small law firm, advertising and fixed cost budgets and stuff and no money coming in because I was the only attorney in the office. And so, you know, I had this huge pile of debt. So I went bankrupt and then I started investing in real estate. And, and uh, it was, a, I mean, it was a challenging time, but I'd made this decision when I was 17, probably like, you know, it was 10 or 12 years before I was diagnosed, 13 years before I was diagnosed with leukemia. I made the decision to give up on bad days. I don't even really know how I came about this. I literally was just looking in the mirror one day and I thought, this is dumb. Why am, why am I upset? Like I'm young and healthy and I'm growing up in a, a fr frankly, a better place than almost anyone in the world can imagine growing up. I'm in a suburban American household with, you know, fairly well-to-do parents. Like that's a, that's a pretty good spot to find yourself at 17 years old. So, but I still was having that teenage angst. I wouldn't say I was depressed because, you know, that's a medical thing. And I don't think right. you can use that away, but, but I wasn't, I wasn't happy. And I just went, you know, today is going to be a good day. I'm going to say it out loud a whole bunch of times. And I just created this affirmation. Today's a good day. And I didn't even know what affirmations were then. Cause this is like in the early nineties before uh, YouTube existed and stuff like that. And I just kept saying it. And then I remember a month or two later, I walked into a, a 7-Eleven and the guy behind the counter said to me, you know, like, how are you doing today? And I went, I never have bad days. And then I went, holy, I never have bad days. Like all of a sudden I was like, I can't yeah. believe this actually works. And I really haven't had bad days since even when I was diagnosed with leukemia, I was framing it because I'd spent so much time building those neural pathways, you know, and there's a lot of science behind this. I, I didn't know it at the time, but, but we all know people that are just, everything's always negative for them and other people, everything's always positive. Turns out you can train your brain to do those things. Like if you yeah. just focus on positive long enough, your body just starts recognizing positive things as they happen. So when I was in the hospital, my brother came in and he says, um, I bet today's a bad day. Almost like he wanted to prove I couldn't, uh, you know, keep the string of positivity up. And I was like, well, I got diagnosed at 10 o'clock at night. Most of the day was pretty good. You know, it was just the last little bit that kind of sucked. And then the next day was a little harder, but I remember it was like maybe two in the afternoon or something, there was a shift change and this nurse came into the, into the room and she looked at me and she goes, Oh my God, Jeff, I'm so sorry to see you here. And I went, Oh my God, Shelly, I'm so happy to be here. And she <laughs> thought I was in crazy, but like my brain was so used to finding positive. I was like, wow, my nurse is like my childhood babysitter. I haven't seen in a decade. Like, this is amazing. Like I get to see my babysitter. And that was enough to make that day feel positive to me. And, and the thing is like, 
you know, not to, you know, delve too deeply into this, but, but really like somewhere in the world right now, someone's having the best day of their life somewhere else. Someone's having the worst day. And um, so objectively the day today, it's neither good nor bad. It's just how those people are perceiving it. That that's controlling how that day is for them. And so for me, because I built this like, you know, brain muscle to like look for positive all the time, I perceived that day as a good day and it became a good day. And, you know, retrospectively, probably one of the best days of my life might not have felt that way at the time. I was going through this super hard thing, thought I might be dying, but it also changed the trajectory of the rest of my life. I no longer practice law. Um, You know, I have this amazing life where I get to travel all around the world and do really cool things like speak to people from the stage, write books about, you know, how to give up bad days, you know, just this really fun stuff that I never would have done had I not gone through that experience. Yeah, you know, I like what you're saying because I talk about mindset a lot on this podcast. And what you mentioned is that someone could be experiencing the exact same thing and someone's having their worst day ever and someone's having their best day ever. Um, and the other thing is affirmations and how powerful words are and how you can trick your mind into believing what you wanted to believe if you repeat it long enough. Or if you, you're you going to start instead of just waking up saying, man, I don't want to get out of bed or you know, I don't want to go to work. If you wake up saying today is a good day and I'm going to make the most of today, you go to work or you, you your feet hit the floor in a different manner. Um, so yeah. I like the way that you highlighted that. And, you know, that preparation, you've been doing it for 10, 12 years and you needed that when the cancer diagnosis came oh, out, right? For sure. If I, if I had been diagnosed with cancer two days after I started my affirmations, it would have right. been a different result. It takes some time to build it up. Actually, there's a, um, I forget the guy's name, but there's a book called Hardwiring Happiness where he's a neuroscientist. And he literally was like, if you want to like train yourself to be happy, you just got to find positive things every day and just wallow in them a little bit. So like he would say, like, you know, you walk outside and the sun hits your face and you just stop for a second and go, this feels really good. Right. Or if you walk outside and it's raining, you think, wow, like, like there's all this nourishment out, like the plants are getting what they need. Like, this is really great. Like, it's just about reframing whatever's happening to that. One of my favorite authors a guy named Hal Elrod, he wrote the book Miracle Morning. Yes. He yes. he said, the moment that you accept 100% responsibility for everything in your life is the moment you can change anything in your life. And that to me, like I didn't know that when I was diagnosed with leukemia. I don't think he had even said it yet then, right? But right. but that is how I did it. Like I, I didn't think it was my fault that I had leukemia, but it was my responsibility. I had to be able to make the decisions that I needed to make to get through the situation I was in in the most positive way possible. And so the not having bad days things really helps with that because like that's the same concept, right? I'm it's like speaking it into an existence. Actually, I like the word abracadabra, right? Like, like it's actually two separate words. It comes from ancient Aramaic. It means as I speak, it is, right? It's the same thing that the magicians use when they wave their wand, right. abracadabra, right. but but it really is. It's abra and kadabra, two separate words, which literally means I I speak it into existence. And I think, you know, I spend a lot of time now talking to people about the idea of creating like a personal declaration for themselves, something that they can say to themselves every day. And it's not just a single sentence, you know, today's a good day. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But it can be something like, you know, 
um, I choose who I am and I choose to be this and this and this and this and this, right? Whatever that is. Um, and then distilling that into something that they can remember and they can synthesize easily whenever they need it. If you're enjoying this episode, don't wait to the end to share it. Share it now. Share this with a friend or a colleague that you think might find value in this information. And then also make sure that you click and leave us a five-star review and give us feedback because we really value your feedback and your input. Now back to the episode. Yeah, I like that. And you mentioned how Elrod with the Miracle Morning, um, that book has been transformational, not only for me, but for my whole family. Um, because we started after I read that book and my wife read that book, we started doing affirmations with the children. And we've been doing it now for over a year. And you can, especially when they get tested, you know, I can just say to them, I am brave, I am strong. And they know, okay, yeah, that's real. That's what I, that's what I say every day. Yeah. You know, I'm an overcomer. You know, I am, yeah, I have a God-given purpose. And I like my favorite one is I give up being perfect for being authentic. Because sometimes I have to continue to tell myself, so I'm not putting on a show for someone else. Uh, but words are powerful, and I want people to hear that what you continue to practice, it becomes habit. I just finished the book, uh, James Clear, Atomic Habits. And, you know, I another great book, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I love so. I just read that myself about six or eight weeks ago. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. But yeah, so, I mean, in, in the Atomic Habits, it's just like these little things that you do every day have this huge payoff. And man, I love this affirmation. I want to see if I remember exactly what you said. I give up being perfect to be authentic. Absolutely. That's amazing. Absolutely. Like that's a, I, I mean, but what you're saying when you have these series of affirmations is exactly what I'm saying, right? It's like you create these declarations of who you are and you show up as that person, right? Like that's the thing. Like if you believe it and you live into it, then you become authentic and you live, live fully in integrity. And, you know, I have a, a mentor who, uh, who says um, integrity is when your when your internal thoughts, the words you speak and your actions are all completely in alignment and you're never going to get all the way there, but, but the closer you get to that, the, the better your life is. And, and these, these kinds of like purposeful declarations of intent, they, they really help with that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, speak to me about your uh, last life ever philosophy. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so again, it's it's just about recognizing it's it's sort of like YOLO, right? Like, but I mean, they already took that one. So right. it's about recognizing we just have one life, right? It's the last one we're going to get. And, you know, and, and even if you're, I've had people say, well, well, I'm religious and I, you know, I believe in, you know, an, an afterlife. Okay, fine. But, but all, all of the major religions, the goal is to get to that last life. Even if you're you know, Hindu and you, and you believe that you have multiple lives until you live your life, the best possible version of it. And then, and then you transcend, right? Like, mm -hmm. like all of the major religions end up with you, you get the shot right now, you have to live the best version of your life. And what I think is, you know, I think that it's kind of a thing like, uh, you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your 
family and to your community and really even to the world to live the best version of your life. Because, you know, like if we take somebody like uh, Elon Musk, right? Like, I mean, controversial, sure, does a lot of crazy sure. things, all that stuff. But Elon Musk could have sold PayPal and he could have got his hundred million dollars or whatever and just kind of lived out on a beach the rest of his life. And he would have lived really well. It would have been an enjoyable, easy, relaxing life. But instead he chose to like do these things, create Tesla, put satellites in, in space, you know, all this stuff. And the world is objectively in a different spot because of that. And if he had been a guy to just hang out on the beach, he would actually have been selfish because he'd be depriving the world of that stuff that he could do. And I feel like we all, like we're not all going to be Elon Musk, right? But we all have a specific thing that we can do. And if we know what that thing is, and we feel the call to do that thing, whether it's just being the best possible parent you can, or the best possible, you know, orthopedic surgeon, or whatever it is, but if you have a skill set, and you're not out there doing it, and for me, I know what I'm called to do. It took me a long time to figure it out. But what I need to do is I need to help people find their purpose. Like, that's my goal. Everywhere I go, I'm like, like, how can we get you to live that best version of your life? And that's where my passion is. And, and I feel like I'm obligated to do it. And if I didn't do it, I'd be depriving the world of the uniqueness that is my perspective. And, and I mean, I think that's true for everyone. I think we all have something unique about us that's worthy and we need to go out and do those things. And, and it might be for some people, that great thing that they can do might only change one person's life, right? But if you change one person's life, you, you could say, oh, uh, Elon Musk is changing the world and I'm only helping one person. But the thing is, you're changing the world for that person that you helped. Yeah. And I like what you said, that one person philosophy, because I think so many times we put this added pressure on ourselves, like, okay, I want to do this, but is it going to make a big enough impact? You know, yeah, is if it, it impacts one me, person. Yeah. I mean, is today, it me on TV or, but that yeah. one person that you talked to in the grocery store who was about to go to this car and kill themselves. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it changed change their, whole change yeah, their whole change world. Their whole and world. And you and today, I mean, literally today, somebody called me crying and said, you know, I just want to tell you that I was looking at one of your Facebook posts, you know, and I, I mean, it's just a Facebook post. It's not, I mean, it's nothing, right? Like it's a Facebook right. post. Right. I was looking at one of your Facebook posts and it inspired me to do these things. And, and, and it doesn't matter what they are, but the point is it changed their life. Like a Facebook post I made. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's crazy, right? Like, yeah. like when I post, I mean, it makes me think I got to be more careful about what I say on Facebook. Is right. one thing it does, but but it also it encourages me to recognize that if I lean into that authentic version of myself, and I don't worry about getting everything exactly right, which is what your affirmation is, which is why I like it so much. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna change people's lives, and by changing a couple people's lives, I'm really changing the world. Absolutely. Even if Absolutely. I don't see it and no one ever knows it's me and you know it's it's not about fame and glory and or being the richest man in the world like Elon Musk right it's just about it's just about like really leaning into who you are who the unique version of yourself. And I think that's why it's so important to be willing to share your story because you don't know who's struggling with that same concept or illness or whatever it may be and you saying that I overcame it or I've been able to shift my mindset to say today is going to be a good day. Someone's going to listen to this episode and start practicing that and completely change their life just because you were willing to share. Yeah. And 
and I've had these conversations, you know, on other shows and I've, I've had the conversations hundreds, maybe thousands of times at random places. I walk into a gas station and someone says, you know, how are you doing today? And I say, I never have bad days. And they'll say one of three things, you know, one will be, uh, it must be nice. And that's like, a, um, I don't really believe you, but I'm just, right. you know, well, I'm patronizing yeah. you. And I always feel bad when people say that, but I, you can't fix that for everyone, right? You don't have to impact everyone. You just have to impact the right people, the people that are open and receptive to what you're saying. And then sometimes you'll hear someone say like, I wish that was true for me. That's a great yeah. one. I love it when I That's hear that because doing, then I yeah. can start talking to them and be like, well, you yeah. listen, here's how you do it. Like, you know, and, and I'm not selling anything. I got nothing. I mean, I do have a book now, but like, but like, I, I'm not even worried about it. Like, I, I don't even care if people buy my book. Like, I, I want people to have good days because I know it's made my life better. And if I can help a few people do that and they all help a few people do it and they all help a few people do it, pretty soon it's tens of thousands or millions of people that are having better days. And even if it's not perfect, right? That's the other thing. Like somebody said to me once, like, well, what if it doesn't work for me? What if, what if uh, I still have bad days once in a while? And I'm like, well, if you have one less bad day, because of it, it's still probably worth it, right? Because it's not that hard. It's just a choice that I made. And I try to identify, again, speak into existence myself as a person who doesn't have bad days. And of course, it gets easier over time. Like if you write a book like I did called No Bad Days, then I have like no choice. Like people, if, I, if I'm having a bad day, people are like, right. what's going on over there? <laughs> I got to be like, hmm, how do I turn right. this one around? You know, like, it, it puts you in that mindset where you're taking responsibility for the day that you're experiencing and figuring it out. And I mean, I've had some traumatic stuff happen since I started this, you know, the leukemia, sure. But I got diagnosed with melanoma and I got into this headspace where I was like, man, two cancers, that's bad. Like, you know, you hear about people beating one cancer, like usually when the second one shows up, even if they're unrelated, you feel like you're in trouble. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that was a couple of years ago. We're still we're still kicking from that one, too. So it could be worse. But, you know, it's all this stuff. It's like, uh, you know, I've, I've, I'm, I went through I'm going through a divorce right now. Like, I, I don't I didn't want to get divorced. Uh, it was traumatic when I found out about it. And that was a hard day. Like it was, I mean, it was a hard lot, a lot of hard days there, but I, I just went like, okay, um, how do I find positive from this? I interviewed a person on last life ever. Um, his name was Michael Pearson uh, on Memorial day a couple of years ago. I'll never forget what he said. He, he lost his son in, um, in Afghanistan and, uh, and he was really depressed about it as I think he would be. And one day he woke up and he said, I have to find three positive things that came from my son's death. And he could wow. he thought of a couple things that came from it, you know, a couple, a couple of things and he had touched people's lives and stuff. And he couldn't think of a third one for a while. So he just was like, well, I'm going to have to create a charity. So he created a charity nice. um, from, you know, in response to it, uh, to help uh, wounded veterans, you know, and help uh, veterans that were suffering from uh, P PTSD and stuff like that. And, and, I, and I've always remembered that because it's like, if you can go through something so traumatic like that, and and you can say, you know what, I'm going to find positive in this. That's, ah, man, I, I can't, it's fascinating to me. I love, those are some of my favorite interviews. I interviewed a guy once whose son drowned in a swimming pool too. And um, his response to that was, I'm going to teach other families how to teach their kids to swim and water safety, right? Like, no, I'm not mm -hmm. going to sue the pool. I'm not right. going to like do all this stuff. I'm, I'm going to, instead of that, I'm going to try to figure it out so that no one else has to go through this this terrible Absolutely. thing that I've had to go through. And, Absolutely. and I find that kind of stuff so inspiring. I mean, I've interviewed lots of really cool people, you know, Olympic gold medalists and stuff, and they all have great stories, but sometimes it's these ordinary people doing extraordinary things that really impress me. Yeah, no, I, 
that's one thing I've learned about podcasting is that it doesn't matter the title. It doesn't matter the age. If you're willing to really dive into someone's story, there's something you can learn from anyone, yeah. you know, but you just have to be open to listen and open to receive from them. Yeah, no, yeah. I learned that from from a friend of mine. <laughs> he has a show. It's literally called Every Man Has a Story. And I was like, that, that's so smart. It's like he just yeah. he picks somebody out. He just talks to them. Let's hear about what, awesome. what, what your deal is. And it's this long form YouTube videos, but it's fascinating every time. I'm just like, it's amazing. I mean, it does take a little bit of talent to dig a story out of everyone though. Like, you know, cause some, some people are a little bit, you know, on the surface, you're like, what's going on? You know, you walk into a waffle house, the person behind the counter, you might be like, what's going on with them? How did they end up right. here? And you might, yeah. it's really easy to discount it and say this 70 year old lady working at a waffle house must have a, really boring life but maybe she had an amazing life and she's at the waffle house through because she's bored or because she's just likes it or you know we just don't know until we like really dig in and listen to them and people get that on they, they forget that sometimes it's easy to make judgments about people based on their circumstances and sometimes you know you can make some reasonable judgments about people on circumstances but most of the time there's a lot more to that story than that yeah no 100 percent so on Time Out with the Sports Doctor this year, final timeout. So number one, it's been a great interview. And, you know, I've gotten so much out of speaking with you. And one of the things I just want to discuss as we wrap this up is you talked about your, your purpose is to help other people find their purpose. And I know that when you decide that I'm going to live my life different or I'm going to change or I'm going to have a positive outlook, you're going to be tested. So I want you to speak to the to the audience to speak to the person who is saying, okay, I've tried that before. And as soon as I tried it, my life got worse. Uh, you know, you tried it, you got cancer, you tried it again, you got cancer, you gone through things. So just encourage that person who might be ready to just give up on a positive outlook. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the thing about this is like, everyone's going to go through easy periods and hard periods. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you do. You get a job working for a big corporation or you start your own business or whatever it is, you know, raising kids, there's going to be easier days. There's going to be harder days. And the trick is to recognize that if you know where you want to go and you keep yourself really focused on that prize, um, what that end goal is. And, and, and the end goal has got to be something that resonates completely with you. You know, it has to be something you really, really want to do. But if it is your purpose and you fall, lean into that and you believe that you can accomplish it, then you can accomplish it. You know, uh, Henry Ford said that, right? Like something to the effect of like, if you believe you can do it, you can. If you don't believe right. you can do it, you can't. Right. You're right? going to be right either way. Right? Yeah, you're going to be right either way. So like, I think it's really about you know, this is where the affirmations and like the, the speaking it into existence really comes into it. Um, yeah, there'll be hard times, but if you fully believe it and you, you just, you just full... actually Arnold Schwarzenegger's book's great on this. I don't know if you ever read it, but like his book, Total Recall, he, he says it's a mindset book. It's like his autobiography, but it's just about like how he spoke things into existence. He would say things like, I will be Mr. Universe, like before he had any reason to say that, you know, I will be the highest paid American movie star when he didn't even speak English, right? Like wow. he just believed it so much that it came true. And I think that's what you have to do if you're facing hardship is just make sure you're doubling down on believing where you're headed. Yeah. Thank you for that tip. Absolutely. 
All right. So Jeffrey, tell people how they can follow your work, how they can buy your book, you know, sure. subscribe well, to your podcast. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm really easy to find. It's Jeffrey Holst everywhere. So like, if you Google me, it's jeffreyholst.com at Jeffrey Holst on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. Um, the book is called No Bad Days, How to Make Every Day Great um, by Jeffrey Holst. Again, like I said, Jeffrey Holst everywhere. Um, but it's not out yet. So you have to pre-order it if you want. It comes out in April. Um, I don't know exactly when the show comes out, but I expect maybe a little before April. Yeah. Um, but it's on everything. I mean, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Target.com, doesn't matter. You can pre-order it anywhere. So absolutely. And what we'll do right before the book release, they will start posting it on the uh, on my yeah. website. So awesome. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well thank you again for your time. It's been awesome talking to you. And you know, I look forward to continuing to work with you in the future. Yeah, thanks so much. It's great seeing you. Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episode. Until later, peace.